Hey there, it's Josh and Andy from the Hollow Chronicles podcast. When you are driving home from a hard day's work and you need a little decompressed time in the car and you want to find some Star Wars information, where do you go? Scarif Scuttlebutt. Scuttlebutt. Hey there, Star Wars fans and fellow Scuttle Buddies. This is Rob LeBerry, host of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast, and you are about to get the Scuttlebutt on the Scarif Scuttlebutt podcast. Congratulations. You are being rescued. Please do not resist. You've tuned in to the fastest growing Star Wars podcast on this side of Moss Eisley. Grab your sunscreen and your blasters. This is the Scarif Podcast. Scarif Control, this is TK226. Come in, Scarif Control. Uh, you think what I'm thinking? Yeah, it looks like they're talking Star Wars again. Greetings to all the slugs on Nelhutta. This is Star Wars Daily Weekend Edition, brought to you by Pablo's Pawn Shop, the Babausa Bazaar, and ChannelStarWars.com. Star Wars news for Star Wars fans by Star Wars fans. Bringing you the news faster than a starving dragon snake, I'm your host, Jason Gaylord. Attention, nerds! Back in May, fans got their first taste of stepping inside the realm of Star Wars with the release of Oculus Quest's Vader Immortal, Episode 1. In this virtual reality game, players are instructed on Mustafar by the Dark Lord himself, Darth Vader. Fast forwarding to the present, the OQ has released a few concept pieces for the next chapter, Vader Immortal Episode 2, including Black Bishop. For those who haven't had the opportunity to check this out yet, Black Bishop is helping Vader to unlock the key to bringing back the dead. Yeah, we know where this is going. Another key aspect to this adventure is that players will use the Force opposed to a lightsaber on missions for the former Jedi. Stay tuned as a release date has yet to be announced. I don't know you anymore. Anakin, you're breaking my heart. You're going down a path I can't follow. On the illustrated front, next week marks the release of Marvel's Age of Resistance special number one. In this one-shot story, we get some history of Vice Admiral Amalyn Holdo. In this issue, we see how Holdo, who is General Organa's purple-haired second-in-command in The Last Jedi, escapes the threat of dangerous enemies, which starts her down the path of the Rebellion. Like all of Marvel's Age of Stories, this is sure to be an excellent issue with nothing but amazing artwork. Age of Rebellion Special Number 1 hits the public on July 31st. That one's a troublemaker. I like him. Me too. And lastly, Disney has announced the animated Star Wars Resistance Season 1 will be released on DVD. While Resistance has been available for streaming on Hulu and Netflix for a while, this physical copy comes with a ton of special features such as commentary by producers and voice actors, 12 bonus shots, and discussions about the past, present, and future of the Resistance series. Star Wars Resistance Season 1 on DVD will be available for purchase on August 20th. Snoochie boochies! <laughs> That's all the time we have this week. Make sure you like and follow us on the Facebook, Instagram, and the Twitter for news, facts, and history. For ChannelStarWars.com, I'm Jason Gaylord reminding you... Oh, 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 oh. Ah, 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 ah.
And now, back to the Scarif Scuttlebutt Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We've got quite an episode tonight. Thank you for joining us. I am Ro in Chicago, coming to you live from the Scarif Podcast Media Center here in Chicago. And uh, who's on the other end of the Imperial Com manning that control center? Who is that, Alex? This is Alex from Imperial Entanglements coming from you, coming to you all the way from Las Vegas, Nevada. Excellent. How's the weather in Las Vegas, Nevada? Hotter than Scarif, probably more like Tatooine. Oh, nice. Yeah, we uh, we had some good weather here in Chicago. It was uh, a little on the warm side, but uh, really, really good stuff. So that is awesome. So uh, as is customary, we usually talk about uh, little Star Wars tidbits before our main course. I know we've got a few things to cover, and uh, like I said, this is going to be a good one, chock full of information. I wanted to mention first the uh, the excitement that two things have caused on the interwebs. Uh, I know you uh, you had sent me some topics and some talk points. So we, we got an advanced glimpse um, of the rise of Skywalker's visual dictionary cover. Did you see that? I sure did. It's got uh, it's featuring one of the Knights of Ren right on the front cover. A Knight of Ren. Yeah, just one. But uh, uh, very interesting. What, what are your first uh, impressions of, of that image? Uh, well, just as every other um, you know visual dictionary that's chock full of extra information for all us extra nerds to get to dive into, but what really struck me was that they had this Knight of Ren on the main cover instead of maybe one of the main characters like Rey or Kylo Ren or, you know, Finn or Poe. Uh, they seem to be really pushing the idea that the Knights of Ren are going to be a significant part of this movie. And I am all for that for sure. Yeah, they were uh, mysteriously um, missing from The Last Jedi after we saw a glimpse of them in Rey's... Uh, nightmare image, uh, the flash forward or the flash back. Um, ooh, I, I gave it away a little bit. Uh, do you think it's a flash forward or a flash back that she had? Uh, very interesting topic. What do you, what do you think? It's, uh, you're, you're talking about her little force vision when she touched, uh, Anakin Skywalker's lightsaber and she looked back and she saw Kylo Ren and the Knights of Ren standing in the rain. Is that correct? That is correct. That is the one. That iconic image that all us Knights of Ren fans have have uh, clung to for all these years. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I want to say that that's probably a flash forward, um, because if it was a flashback, I think we've we've passed all the opportunities um, to have explored it. If it was in the past, I'm, I don't know. I'm not sure. It, it kind of could go both ways. It could be. Um, something that J.J. explores in, in some kind of a flashback in The Rise of Skywalker, but it also could be something coming from the future. I'm on the fence on it, man. Honestly, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely one of those gray areas where it could go either way. I'm looking forward to very much to, to see how J.J. Uh, wraps things up. Yeah, that's one of the things that uh, I was talking about. Um, there's another thing that was kind of went under the radar, but I wanted to uh, take note of a particular article that came out in comicbook.com as reference. Director J.J. Abrams states that George Lucas was a big contributor on this script. He says, and I quote, There have been a lot of ideas since the beginning, since George first came up with this, of where we could go. 
So that quote in itself, I, I wanted to ask you, do you think he means the idea for Episode Nine or the overall story of Star Wars? It's not very clear. To tell you, my gut feeling tells me that it's more uh, centered on Episode Nine because J.J. Has, has said in the past that this episode is one that's going to take in both the prequel and original trilogy and kind of tie everything together as the last installment in this saga. So I think he probably wanted to have George give him an idea of where the creator himself saw this story ending and probably put a lot of that influence into this episode. Wow. If, uh, if that is true, Alex, I am definitely looking forward to the rise of Skywalker. If indeed they did call back the uh, creator of the Star Wars universe, uh, I got to tell you, I'm very excited. Uh, yeah, I definitely am too. I'm looking forward to, uh, to seeing what they have to offer. Um, I'm hoping that it's everything that we wish it to be. I know there's some speculation that there's going to be some form of time travel possibly uh, involved. I'm not totally against that, but I do hope that they kind of stray more towards uh, what we typically see in a Star Wars movie. Sure. And not delve off into that science fiction atmosphere. Because this is a science fantasy, so it's a, it's a weird element. If they do time travel, it would have to be done very, very specifically and well done. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think time travel belongs in Star Trek. Uh, Star Wars is a little bit more um, or less forgiving as far as time travel, I think. Yeah, when I first heard uh, time travel, I was uh, of the idea that, uh, you know, I don't want time travel in Star Wars. But we'll see. Uh, obviously, there was that episode of uh, Rebels. It didn't really deal with time travel, but there was kind of a little bit of a uh, dimensional shift, uh, if you will. So that article also says that J.J., uh, it has been significantly, he says it's been significantly challenging to bring the story forward, but he considers this a great opportunity. Are you excited to see J.J. finish this off? And do you think that maybe he should have been the one to take the reins on the overall story arc for the, for the sequel trilogy. Absolutely. Uh, I know that people have mixed feelings about J.J. Abrams, especially when it comes to um, to completing his stories. Usually he's the, he's the guy who starts everything. He sets up all the mysteries, he gets things off the ground, and then he passes it off to somebody else. Um, he doesn't have a great track record for wrapping up his own stories, so that does leave me a little hesitant. However... In the uh, just in the for the sake of continuity, I do think that it should have been one director taking on all three movies. Um, I know that Lucasfilm and Kathleen Kennedy were trying to mimic what was happening over at Marvel. Uh, however, they never had uh, a significant enough figure like a Kevin Feige to kind of keep everything uh, in a coherent way. So, uh, I do think that JJ should have should have taken on all three movies just so that we could have. Uh, one person's vision of uh, what should have happened in the sequel trilogy. And I also think that J.J. probably has um, a more direct line to George Lucas than Ryan Johnson did. Uh, I think he'd be more inclined to listen to what George would say, as we're seeing with this these rumors about him being involved in Nine. I think if we had that type of influence in all three movies, I think the outcome would have been, uh, I think, more favorable to the general uh, fan audience um, in general. I think it would have been just more, uh, I don't know what the word is. It would have been more beneficial for the, for the saga. Roll it again. 
in The Last Jedi, we have the moment, Rey is no one. Mm. Then we have Kylo kind of becoming the big bad. We don't know if he can be redeemed. And then you drop the title, The Rise of Skywalker, which just sent my mind very bonkers and thinking, who is the Skywalker? Is Rey a Skywalker? What is mm. going on? You're right. Well, I, I, the, the title feels like it's the right title for this movie, and I know that it's provocative and asks a bunch of questions, but I think when you see the movie, you'll see how it's intended, what it means. But in the flow of, of titles, this movie had a very weird responsibility. It had to be the end of not just three movies, but nine movies, mm -hmm. and the idea of having to incorporate the stories that have come before, uh, strangely, is the story of the movie, which is to say it's the characters in the film inheriting you know, everything that's come before in, in pre previous, gen uh, previous generations, uh, whether it's, you know, sins of the father, whether it's, uh, you know, the wisdom that they've, that they've acquired. And the question is, can this new generation, are they up to the task? Can they stand up to what they have to? And so in a way, I feel like we, coming into this movie, have inherited a lot. And the question is, can we do it? And that's the question we ask ourselves every day. <laughs>
So I don't doubt that it might be something that they're trying to keep under wraps. And um, I do remember a while back, way, way, way back, um, probably about a year now, the rumor that Matt Smith has been cast in Episode Nine, And we haven't really heard much since. People have been speculating that it was going to be some kind of a either a young Palpatine or possibly some kind of a person that Palpatine would possess, you know, his dark, his dark spirit would uh, possess this younger body. Um, but then again, you, like you said, it just kind of went off the radar for a while and now it's starting to creep back up a little bit. So I do think that there is something to this. Uh, Matt Smith is a fairly big actor. Uh, he's, he's a known name among, especially among the, the sci-fi and nerd culture. People know who he is. So, it doesn't seem like he's going to be a throwaway character. I don't think they would cast somebody like him in this uh, just to have him in the background. I'm leaning towards there's probably some kind of a secret that we're not going to know about until the last minute. And then when we see the movie in December or or possibly in one of the new trailers that are be coming out next month, um, we might be able to actually kind of uh, figure out what's going on with Matt Smith. But I do think he's involved. I think the name has been floating out there for long enough where... Um, if he wasn't involved, we wouldn't be hearing as much as we are. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see going forward who uh, Matt Smith is going to play. And I, too, have my theories about, uh, you know, the Expanded Universe, the uh, Dark Horse comics had a storyline where Palpatine kind of uh, had uh, clone bodies or clones in reserve. So when his old body died out, he was he'd be able to jump, you know, from clone to clone, if need be, to continue, you know, his his reign. Um, a lot of people were speculating that Ray might be, uh, you know, a clone and one of these, um, I don't know, cl- clones for, for Palpatine, but, uh, we'll know come December. Uh, it's very, uh, very interesting. And, and you're right. JJ does love his secrets. Yes, he does. Right, Scarif Scuttlebutt, what's the next uh, topic we got? So, Alex, are you reading any Star Wars books? I I think I'll be listening to two, or re-listening to two that uh, I downloaded on Audible. Uh, Dooku, Jedi Lost, and Master and Apprentice, uh, Kevin Scott and Claudia Gray, respectively. Are you reading anything lately? Uh, nothing brand new. I am very interested in some of the work that Claudia Gray is doing, and I'm also... Looking forward to the Thrawn trilogy being completed. I think once it's done, I'll pick up all three. Um, the uh, Mark Thompson is the narrator for most of the Star Wars movies, or most, most of the Star Wars books, I'm sorry. And uh, he's a big um, inspiration to me as somebody who um, kind of likes the idea of, of doing a narration or audiobook or something like that. And I love his work uh, when it comes to Star Wars. He does all the voices really well and... Uh, I'm really looking forward to if if not the book, even if the book isn't as good as I hope it is, uh, his narration is always top marks. So I'm really looking forward to that. Cool, yeah. So uh, Dooku Jedi Lost is a kind of a full cast drama, which is really cool. And uh, Master and Apprentice uh, by Claudia Gray is a great book. Jonathan Davis is the guy that uh, that does the the newer books, but. Uh, it's it's worth uh, picking up if if uh, you're interested in that, especially Dooku Jedi Lost, since it's a it's a, it's a full cast doing the book, and uh, all sorts of characters, all sorts of voiceover 
uh, people doing the book with sound effects, music. It's, you know, it's like watching a movie without the, the visuals, but uh, it's really, really great. Pick it up on audible.com. I'll take a look at that. That sounds right up my alley. I have many enemies, Ventress. The things they would do to her to learn my secrets. The torture they would inflict. But not the Jedi. They do not torture. Are you sure? It is not their way. That amuses him. A smile tugs at his mouth, but there is no warmth to it. This is the Dooku I have come to know. The mask is back on. All right, Marisha, we had another question again this week from our friends over at the Scarif Scuttlebutt podcast. Mm, all right. New questions. What yep. have we got this week? All right. So this week they're talking about the force again. So it'll be a little bit like our last conversation. The question that what they're talking about is being a force user. There's an article that they're they're going from that suggests that in the new Star Wars in the new era of the Disney era, I guess that star Wars is now presenting this idea that anybody can be a Jedi or that anybody can have the force. No. Uh, Well, it's an interesting conversation because we were talking about, we know that it exists within all life. Right. Yes. So clearly everyone has some, I mean, it, what it surrounds us and penetrates us and binds the universe together, right. in and around everything. Right. So I guess it's a matter of can any, what it means to use to, to be able to use the force. If you take right. someone like Chirrut Inway or Han Solo, I'll go with Han Solo. He survives because of his gut instinct. Right. That's how he's lived his whole life when, when we first meet him in A New Hope. And that's how we see him survive the original trilogy. Right. It's he's just lucky. because he's always kind of his gut just always takes him the right direction. Is that the force? I mean, I think that the universe theology would say yes. I mean, and they they kind of made a point that different people call the force different things, but it's all the same thing. Right. And I think as the, as we really begin to branch out with the movies that we're going to, so far, we just haven't done a lot. We've talked about this before. We haven't done a lot of lore of the force in the new trilogy. We just haven't. So I don't really think that that's where Disney is going. That I know there's some people that are concerned that Disney is going to go with this idea that just anybody can just use the force. But that's really inconsistent with everything that they that they've done previously, especially in the book. You know, you clearly see like some people are force users and some people aren't. Now you you mean you you know you have people um, like Chirrut, who's you know a student of the force or Maz Kanata. And they clearly are a little more attuned to it. And you kind of get the impression maybe that you can study to become more attuned to the Force. But I don't think that you can be a Jedi through study. I, I don't think that that, that works. Well, I mean, they, they've nobody's ever gone back to the midi-chlorians word yet in, in, the, right. the, in the Disney era. But... Just based on what we know about the way the force works and how people are, why some people are more attuned to it than others, it's based on midi-chlorian count. That's canon. That's the way it works. I know some people really right, hate that. that. I know that's pretty objective there. You can't, you know, 
boost your midichlorian count as far as we've ever been able to ascertain. I mean, in the Jedi, they they go after Force-sensitive children when they're infants. Right. And I think where a lot of the disconnect with the way we look at the Force is coming from, you have two different groups of people who are evaluating the way that Star Wars is approaching the Force. You have people who only watch the movies. Right. And then you have completists who are reading every book and comic and all that. And video game and yeah. Right. So I think that the books in particular, and I think eventually we'll begin to get there in the movies where we see there are different kinds of force users. I think movie people yeah. get real hemmed into Jedi and Sith. Right. And that's fine. That that's if that's what the part of they enjoy. But when you dive deeper and you go into the books, we do begin to see that there are a lot of different kinds of force users. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, and some that are, are very, very powerful and some that have very limited power, but they, they have a connection with the force. And then we have others. Now I'm reading the, uh, what is the second throne book called? I just finished it. Allegiance. Allegiance. And we see people with limited force use or powerful force use, but it diminishes throughout their life. So... I'm curious to see. I don't think Disney's going to just blow the door open and go, you can use the force and you can use the force. You know, I don't think at the end of, I don't think the end of the rise of Skywalker is going to be suddenly everybody on the resistance side is going to use the force and defeat whatever the evil is. I just don't oh, think they're going I there. I'd be happy if they did that. N nobody would be happy if they did that. Well, there'd probably be a few people happy if they did that, but point blank question. Do you think that Disney will go around? We're all, beings in the universe have access to the force i think they will go that all beings in the universe have some degree of access but that i don't think they're ever going to go that or, anyone or at least be. potential potential access potential access maybe they can sense things maybe they can maybe a little bit of precognition or you know a sixth sense but full-flown i can make things float no, I don't think they're ever going to go. I don't think they're ever going to give anyone the ability to manipulate the Force other than a select few. I agree. Thank you again for the question, Scarif, and may the Force be with you. So, Alex, we got a new segment that we will continue to do. I want to ask you, what is your favorite Star Wars ship? Um. Oh man, this is a tough one because I'm such an original trilogy fan. I can't with in good conscience not say the Millennium Falcon. Sure. I feel like that might be kind of like the milk toast answer that everybody will give. <laughs> yeah. Um so I would say besides the Millennium Falcon, uh one of my personal favorite ships was the B-Wing from the uh Return of the Jedi. Oh, yeah. It had the similar cockpit to the Millennium Falcon, that kind of pill-shaped with the open window in the front. But the thing that made it so special to me was the fact that it had those tri-wings that would fold down and open up, and it, it, it just looked so cool. I had a toy when I was a kid, and I loved that thing. It would be a very interesting thing to pilot one of those ships because of that turret revolves. So that's, uh, that's really, really cool. It's a really interesting ship. Um, but we had... Uh, I posted that question a couple of minutes ago, earlier in the evening, and um, we got uh, we got some responses real fast. Our 
friend Amanda says that she loves the Ebon Hawk. Lots of good memories. Are you familiar with that ship? Uh, not by name. Can you describe it to me? Whose ship was it? Yeah, you know, you know that's a ship with a sordid past. Uh, it's I think it's part of the expanded universe. It uh, exchanged owners and finally ended up in the hands of Revan, uh, going out to the unknown regions to destroy the Sith Empire. It's a it's kind of a cr- heavy cruiser, and uh, came back to join its owner, a Jedi exile named Mitra Surik. And talk about a fast ship. It was one of the fastest ships of its time, uh, involved in the old Jedi Civil Wars uh, back in the day. And I'm not too familiar with that. I had to uh, look up the uh, Star Wars Wikipedia to figure that out. Uh, but it's it's uh, a little bit, it's a cross between uh, the Millennium Falcon without the cockpit and yeah, we got another follower named Allie Kastner who had a follow-up question, and I guess I should have specified when I posted the question, what's your favorite ship? You know where I'm going, right? She asked, vehicle or romance? Oh. Okay. Well, hey, yeah, you probably should have specified that. Yeah. So vehicle, she says it's the Lambda class shuttle, or more commonly known as uh, the Tidarium shuttle from Return okay. of the Jedi. Yep. And uh, it, it is a beautiful sh- uh, ship, um, beautifully designed. The wingspan is gorgeous. And yes, I, I don't think I've ever seen a more elegant uh, ship than the Tidarium shuttle. And I know um, Matt... From Blue Bantha Milk responded that uh, that is also one of his uh, favorite childhood toys growing up, the Tidarium Shuttle. Uh, It's a big ship. I never had one of those growing up. I I think I had the model, which was slightly smaller. And my buddies and I love to uh, blow blow them up in the backyard, so (laughs) I don't have it anymore. But um, yeah, the Tidarium Shuttle is a favorite. And uh, in case you were wondering for the other kind of ship, it's uh, Han and Leia. Oh, okay. That's reasonable. <laughs> Real quick about that uh, shuttle Tidarian. Um, there's a, it's a funny little story. When I was a kid, I didn't have a lot of toys. Uh, I wasn't like, you know, I wasn't fortunate enough to have my parents buy me a bunch of toys. Um, but what I would use is those little black paper clips um, with the, the metal little rings on them that you could pinch and they kind of folded down in the shape of the shuttle Tridarian and if you put a smaller paper clip inside of the big one it also had the dorsal fin along with it and I used to make those and I used to pretend that those were my little imperial ships when I was a kid I think I'm gonna grab one of those uh, paper clips put those together and and uh, and uh, post that as uh, your favorite <laughs> paper clip ship that's funny <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's too funny. Ah, oh, the joys of being poor. <laughs> <laughs> Listen up, Scuttle Buddies. We're going to be checking out Raul Merez's tech report on everyone's favorite Imperial ship, the TIE Fighter. We've intercepted a rebel transmission. It's StarTech. The Maris report. 
Shall we jam comms, director? No, let it go through. We'll have troops waiting to intercept on Scarif Station. We're going to speak today a little bit about the TIE series, the TIE fighter, its technology, operational uh, and design philosophy, and a little bit about their creators, uh, CNR Fleet Systems. Uh, But before we go into that, I'd like to uh, very cordially give a big thank you to the Scarif Scuttlebutt podcast for having me and allowing me to participate and help out. So here we go. The TIE series and the TIE Fighter. The TIE series was a series of starfighters and vehicles that were designed by CNR Fleet Systems. CNR Fleet Systems, along with Kuwait Drive Yards, were uh, two of the major suppliers of military vessels for the Galactic Empire. Whereas Kuwait Drive Yards was famous for designing massive star destroyers, CNR Fleet Systems was best known for manufacturing the TIE Fighters. TIE, side, uh, TIE series starfighters shared a general design form of, of, a rough, of a roughly spherical or cylindrical cockpit pod attached to a set of solar panels. Um, this, this immediate design came off the TIE fighter, uh, which was the original design for the, upgraded, uh, for the later upgraded TIE models, such, a, such as the uh, TIE interceptor, the TIE bomber, the TIE defender, uh, the TIED, which was the automated starfighter, and many more. Good afternoon, Commander. I'm eager to hear your opinion on the improvements made to the TIE Defender program. Allow me to present the Defender Elite for your inspection, Grand Admiral. And then I will provide you with a flight demonstration. Hey, you hear something? Yeah, what is that? The cockpit of the TIE fighter, uh, generally speaking, was neither spacious nor was it luxurious, even when compared to other star fighters. A TIE fighter was designed with the bare minimum of ship need to function, being essentially nothing more than a cockpit with weapons on the front and an engine in the, in the rear. This simplicity in design made them both quick and inexpensive to build and replace. Fantastic. Thank you, Raul. Uh, yeah, so TIE Fighters uh, are one of my favorite ships, obviously being, um, as I, I used to tell Brad, uh, imperially inclined. Um, I guess both of all, um, all three of us now are imperially inclined, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. We're all kind of uh, fighting for the Empire over here. So, uh, getting back to our discussion. Oh, um, I did hear some fantastic news, uh, which kind of relates to, to, to me and my experience with uh, Star Wars VR, the Oculus Rift, uh, the headset with uh, Vader Immortal, uh, an amazing game. If you guys have not been able to be lucky enough to, 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 uh, to play that, uh, what are they saying about Vader Immortal Episode 2, Alex? Uh, well, there's a recent interview with the director of the Vader Immortal series on from StarWars.com, and it is from Mr. Ben Snow, who is the director. He was he had a really cool quote about what to look forward to in Episode Two of this video game. He said, "Wow, y- you will get to use the Force in Episode Two. He 
He said, the way we thought about this was we wanted to give you the Vader equivalent of Yoda teaching Luke about the force on Empire Strikes Back. I'm getting chills. We want it to be slightly darker and more twisted. He talks about the power of the dark side, as well as things you can do with the Force. So as somebody who has played Episode 1 and has felt how satisfying it is to use a lightsaber with your own hands, are you looking forward to being able to use the Force, or the better, let's say it better, are you looking forward to being able to use the dark side of the Force in Episode 2? Let me tell you, Alex, from finishing episode one and coming face to face with my favorite Star Wars character ever, Lord Darth Vader, Dark Lord of the Mother Effing Sith. Yeah, uh, I'm excited. Can you tell? Uh, Yes, Uh, and it's almost it's making it almost worth it for me to actually go out and buy this entire system because this sounds amazing. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really, really great. Uh, obviously we talked a little bit about that last episode. I think VR games are, uh, you know, I, I think they're at the beginning of the cusp of, of being something very revolutionary. You know, the, the, the downside obviously is the, the price of the Oculus. There's several versions of it. Uh, they're not a cheap thing. But the good thing is that the game was only ten bucks. Um, as amazing uh, as an experience as it is, the uh, the game was cheap, and I'm hoping that that that's going to be the norm for the game, since you have to spend so much money for the for the headgear and the the equipment. I I, I really hope that they don't uh, bring the price up, and and um, I hope they don't kind of bait and switch you. Uh, you know, ten bucks for the first game and fifty bucks for the for the second. Um, but it, it's really uh, a very interesting and very uh, satisfyingly immersive game. As far as the added environmental experience, so I was telling a friend of mine, there's a part where you're riding on an open skiff down, uh, down to where the main action is. And my son, you know, we, we had it in his room playing uh, on his gaming laptop because it's the fastest laptop in the house. So my son had his ceiling fan on and dude, it felt so good because it really felt like I was on this open-aired skiff vehicle gliding down into the game. So, you know, feeling the, the ceiling fan and, and seeing the environment and what you were doing in, inside the game was uh, was amazing. I loved it. That's great. That sounds awesome. I'm, uh, I'm glad you're enjoying it, and I hope that the rest of it is, uh, is just as good. So a, a little additional news from the set of The Mandalorian. Uh, did you hear this, Alex? George Lucas on the set with Jon Favreau uh, about The Mandalorian. You, you want to you know what he told uh, Jon Favreau about uh, The Mandalorian and Star Wars? I know that he was on set quite often with Jon Favreau and Dave Filoni, but I did not get a chance to listen to this uh, this particular interview, so hit me with it. What did he say? 
Yeah, so he was uh, kind of uh, giving him a couple pointers, but he says, remember that these stories are for 12-year-olds. Well, he didn't say it exactly in those words, but he says these stories are for kids coming of age. He classifies them as myths and fairy tales, and of course they are. They're wonderful tales. Uh, And as a fan of the whole, you know, Joseph Campbell experience, he reiterates how these stories or any storytelling about good versus evil is about, uh, you know, imparting the wisdom of previous generations on to children who are becoming adults and and being able to give them a context for how to behave, you know, learning from the lessons of the past. And Alex, you said last week, in last week's episode, that uh, we thought that something mystical or magical was missing from the sequel trilogy in, in, in the new Star Wars films. You know, when we talked about is Star Wars dead? I don't yeah. know. Maybe, maybe this is it. What do you, what do you think of that? Uh, it's quite possible that that, um, that magic that the original trilogy and uh, for the most part, the prequel trilogy had uh, was due to George Lucas's view of his target demographic. He wanted to inspire the younger audience, uh, give them something to look at while they were growing up to aspire to. Um, and because of that vision was kind of lost for the last couple of movies, possibly uh, some would disagree and and that's okay. This is just my personal opinion. It might have been a little lost uh, in this sequel trilogy and uh, to have George involved again and to have him mentoring the people who are creating this content, that might be what the missing ingredient was for a lot of fans. Yeah, that's true. And we have to remember that, uh, you know, Star Wars back in the uh, mid seventies coming out of a you know, weird political time. You've had uh, Vietnam that uh, was weighing down young people for many years. You had Watergate that was basically, you know, destroying the uh, the political climate uh, for hope of the future. So, you know, Jar- George Lucas wanted to get in there and just kind of create another uh, another fairy tale full of uh, hope and uh, and try to uplift, uh, you know, young like he says, young people coming of age. Uh, you know, and obviously we're always, I think we're always going to go through some weird political times. We can always examine uh, what the, how the world is reacting uh, to certain ideologies when it comes to, uh, you know, pop culture and Star Wars is definitely, uh, should be in the forefront, don't you think? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I do have a counterpoint to that, however, because of the incredibly immense popularity of the Marvel movies. My personal feeling is that Marvel has kind of taken the place of what Star Wars was for kids in the 70s and 80s. Marvel is for the kids of today because these movies are are massively popular. They're spanning 22 films over the past decade. People are literally growing up with these movies the same way people grew up with the Star Wars back in the 70s and 80s. Um and and I I feel like that they may have uh have taken that spot uh, from Star Wars, and it's up to Star Wars now if they want to uh, to take it back and try to become the this generation's uh, fairy tales or this generation's um, escape from the incredibly diverse and divisive political climate that we see ourselves in today. Yeah, I could definitely see uh, how uh, those films have kind of uh, substituted what Star Wars was back in the 70s. We need to get Star Wars back uh, up there in the pantheon of uh, of uh, pop culture. Looking forward to Star Wars in the future, and uh, let's let's see what happens 
with uh, open hearts and, uh, and an open mind. For sure. Let's go. You can cut that out. I don't even know what I said. I think I said, let's go it. <laughs> it's just, let's just slice that part out. <laughs> oh my God. He's embarrassing. My friend might have been banished. So recently, Mark Hamill shared a picture, a very inspirational picture that uh, was uh, pretty cool. I don't know if you saw it. I sure did. The uh, bionic, yeah, the bionic actress, uh, you know, she's going by the bionic actress. Uh, Angel, uh, let's see if I don't butcher her last name, uh, Gufria, Gufria, and I'm probably not saying it right. So actress Angel posted this badass lightsaber attached to her arm. Uh, Angel is uh, is an amputee, and she was able to fashion a lightsaber from parts from Saber Forge, a company named uh, Bionic Author, and Arm Dynamics. And uh, let me tell you, it looks pretty badass. D- were you able to see that post? I did see it. I follow Mark, and I saw his tweet uh, when he put that out, and it was awesome. It, it was uh such a great and inspirational thing uh, for children and, and people of all ages who, who might have the same condition or who have lost a limb or something that they don't have to, they don't have to feel down about that. They can, they can take it in stride and uh, create something fantastic out of it. And I think this was a great inspiration. And it reminded me a lot of uh, recently with the Alita Battle Angel uh, press tour. They, they had um, a young woman, I think her first name was Tilly. She's a w, double amputee. But with t- today's technology, uh, these people are able to have uh, these prosthetic arms that move like regular hands, uh, and they react to their to their muscle their muscle twitching inside their arm and and to what they do what they want them to do. It gives them a lot of mobility, and I think uh, Luke Skywalker, Mark Hamill's character, is a is a a great person to usher in and to kind of guide these people as. He represented that type of thing when once he lost his hand in uh, Empire Strikes Back. You know, people always look to him as as kind of the the celebrity to uh, to aspire to show all these cool new mechanics off to. And I think it's great. I think it's fantastic. I think so too. I think it's one of those things in Star Wars that is very well done. Uh, there's all sorts of types of people in Star Wars characters. Uh, not only men and women, but uh, characters of all, uh, all across the galaxy, and uh, it's one of the reasons that makes the galaxy so rich in um, characters. And uh, it's cool, really cool to see that kind of spill out into the real world. It's really cool if you read her story. She's, uh, I think, she was auditioning for for something. I don't know if it was Star Wars related, but uh, she was auditioning for something and uh, kind of uh, felt uh, a little nervous. Uh, about that audition and was able to uh, put that uh, Saber Forge uh, together and um, really brought, uh, I guess, some, you know, some happiness and comfort in her life. Really cool that she was able to share it. Yeah, that's awesome. I love seeing it and I look forward to seeing more of it with today's technology. uh, I think it's going to get better and better. So, Alex, our main topic for tonight's episode... Are you Force-sensitive, Alex? The Force is what gives the Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us, penetrates us, it binds the galaxy together. Uh, yeah. 
I'm a freaking Jedi, bro. <laughs> Excellent. So, yeah, I mean, you know, how many times have you wanted to, uh, you know, you're sitting in your comfy chair, you're all cozied up uh, watching Star Wars, and uh, you realize that you want the volume up and you have to get up to get the remote because you put it way on the other side of the room. How many times have you wanted just to kind of uh, wave your hand and just have the remote jump into your hand? Um, uh, it, it's... it's it's got to be almost a daily occurrence, and it's not just TV remotes. I mean, every single automatic door coming in and out of a store, I wave my hand to open it. Elevators, the same thing. Uh, my young son and I have force push battles where he'll put his hand out and, and act like he's trying to force push me, and I'll resist it with my force, and I'll try to push him back, and we go back and forth, and... It's a it's a daily occurrence. It's part of my life. I love acting like I can use the force. It's it's uh it's a I don't know, it's just so much fun. <laughs> it is it is so much fun and uh thank you George Lucas for thinking of that uh that power and that concept. It's uh something that uh you can't have a Star Wars movie Without uh, at least mentioning the Force, I know Rogue One uh, didn't have a lot, didn't have any Jedi's or lightsabers. Uh, we did uh, hear a little bit about, uh, you know, the Force, uh, but uh, it's an interesting thing. Uh, l- lately, there's some uh, talk on the interwebs regarding uh, Force sensitivity and the uh, specialness of being one with the Force. Alex, uh, let's uh, talk a little bit about this concept. I know a lot of people were uh, kind of commenting on our question regarding being Force-sensitive. Some people say that, uh, yes, Yoda did say that the Force is all around us and everybody's got the Force, but really, can anybody be a Jedi? I mean, uh, it's one of those things that uh, if that's the case, some people were saying that becoming a Jedi or a Sith becomes diluted because if anybody can do it, then it's not special. What, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, the, I see the, uh, there's a valid point in both sides of this argument. Uh, yes, if um, anybody, literally anybody can train and become a Jedi, it does uh, lose its effect a little bit. It becomes a little bit less special. The Jedi used to be this re- you know, revered uh, element of the galaxy that um, that it was unattainable for some, and that's what made it so special and so unique. Uh, however, there is a side that you could say that everybody has the Force. And if I could just set up kind of where this idea has come from, there was a comic book uh, based on the events directly after The Last Jedi where Finn, Ray, and Poe were talking uh, inside the Millennium Falcon, and they were discussing something. It got brought up that Poe might actually be Force-sensitive, but he denied it. He said, no, I don't think I have the force. And uh, General Leia walks in and interrupts him and says, actually, we all have the force or everyone has the force. And uh, some people took a little problem with this because they felt like it was saying that everybody was able to use the force and it kind of made it less special like we were talking about. However, my personal opinion, um, I think what Yoda said to Luke and also what Obi-Wan said about the force being in everyone and being, and it surrounds us and penetrates us and it's created by life itself. I think everybody or everything that is alive is connected to the force somehow. If we're going to get super nerdy here, folks, so hang on. (laughs) 
What uh, what changes with Jedi and Sith and other strong Force users is, of course, what George brought up was the Metachlorians. Uh, Metachlorian count kind of was a little bit of a gauge for your potential Force use or your ability to manipulate the Force to your will or to allow it to manipulate you to its will. On the on the high scale of this of this spectrum that we have, we have the Jedi and the Sith, the very powerful, the top tier. Jedi Force users that were able to communicate with the Force and use it to do extraordinary feats. And then on the other scale, you had the common people who may have some feeling or something might have been a coincidence, which was actually just the will of the Force guiding them in a certain direction, where we have characters from like Rogue One with Chirrut. Uh, He was a little bit, he wasn't a Jedi, he wasn't Force- uh, a, a force user. He was just sensitive to knowing that the force was there and that he was allowed, he allowed it to guide him. So I think there's a spectrum and I think it depends a lot on what George would bring up would be the metachlorians. How much metachlorians are you, do you have in your body and how, um, how you allow the force to flow through you. That all changes depending on the person. And it also changes depending on the force and it allows some people to be very, very powerful Force users, like Anakin Skywalker, down to just the lowly common person who might have some kind of an intuition. Like the broom boy. Like the broom boy <laughs> from The Last <laughs> Jedi. Small feats that, uh, that some people might not be able to do, but it comes a little naturally to him. And, uh, of course, I think with training, because we all know that Jedi need to be trained, uh, with training you can enhance your skills, um, but... I think every single person in the galaxy probably has um, a capping out of what you can do with the Force, and it all kind of goes up to uh, to the will of the Force or or chance or whatever you want to call it, uh, to who can be a strong Force user versus just a regular person. And that kind of goes uh, with any skill. I think if you have a type of skill that requires some sort of training, whether it be, you know, art or, uh, <clears throat> you know, um, gymnastics of some sort or, or whatever skill it is, I guess, you know, with, with every skill you need that practice, you need that training in order to become uh, proficient in it, in order to become a master. And, uh, you know, I guess anybody can pick up a guitar and kind of start strumming, but uh, the more you train, the more you practice, the better you'll be. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Uh, yeah, for the most part, I would add that uh, talent, just raw talent has a lot to do with it as well. Uh, I can go and pick up a guitar or go and learn some kind of a skill, boxing or gymnastics like you were saying, and I can train to become proficient. However, there's going to be somebody out there who is just more naturally inclined to do that thing, and they will their skills will, will be far beyond what I could possibly train into myself. There is an element of just pure raw strength, which we see in the bloodlines in Star Wars, like the Skywalkers are a very strong force-sensitive bloodline, and that carries throughout generations, which is why mostly every single Skywalker is very powerful in the force. So I'm sure that there's an element of both talent and training that goes into becoming a force user. So in the real world, we can equate that raw, untangible talent to uh, something like the midichlorians. Um, The more you have of that, 
the more force sensitive, the more uh, you are in tuned with the force. So yeah, I, I tend to agree. You know, the force uh, is all about having a living relationship with the galaxy around us, as Yoda said. And uh, the concept was explained to a young Anakin through that microscopic life form inside every living thing. Again, getting into the nerdy science explanation of the Force. And, uh, you know, the science goes even deeper to something called the wills. Um, As we learned a little bit in Rogue One, it was mentioned that... uh, um, The two characters in Rogue One were guardians of the wills. And uh, so here's... George Lucas had to say about them uh, regarding those wills that uh, he mentioned. He says that uh, if George Lucas was still in control of uh, the Star Wars franchise after, um, you know, uh, or before doing these new films, he would he would have gotten into the microbiotic world, uh, the world uh, where creatures operate differently than what we do. We call them the wills, and the wills are the ones who actually control the universe. They feed off the Force. We saw a little bit of this during Yoda's uh, lost episodes of the uh, Clone Wars, and um, it's a very uh, interesting concept. You know, these films, uh, these new films are kind of starting to introduce the fact that uh, maybe you don't need as much training as uh, as we once thought to become a great uh, Jedi or even a great Force user. I know a lot of people have uh, issues with that, but I think uh, an equally number of people accept the fact that, yeah, I mean, I don't need to be a Skywalker in order to to be able to be a Force user. So, the you know, obviously the argument can go both ways. I am of the camp that uh, it, it should be kind of a more specialized talent. And whether it's bloodline, you know, related to bloodline or somehow, uh, you know, here's the thing. If if there's more midichlorians in a Skywalker, then the, the whole bloodline uh, scenario makes sense, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. Anakin was uh, in episode one, if you guys remember the Phantom Menace, when Qui-Gon Jinn took a blood sample. Obi-Wan Kenobi stated that Anakin had more metachlorians than even Master Yoda. So Anakin, although he wasn't as well-trained as Yoda, and in a one-on-one fight, Yoda would have prevailed because of his training, Anakin had more overall potential. So that if he had the equal amount of training as Yoda, he would be more powerful simply because of the metachlorian count. Uh, if I understand that right, if somebody wants to correct me, if I'm if I'm misinterpreting what George was trying to say with that, I believe that's what uh, is is kind of insinuated in Episode One, The Phantom Menace. So, I I like I said before in my other podcasts, I always kind of re- rely mostly on the movies for as much canon information as possible. So that's where I'm I'm kind of grabbing my theories, and that goes into uh, if you want to talk about Poe real quick, the reason why this was brought up. Um, is in one of the comic books for Poe Dameron's backstory, Luke Skywalker had planted a uh, some kind of a Force-sensitive tree near where Poe was growing up. And people have been speculating whether or not this tree somehow influenced Poe into becoming more Force-sensitive, which is what led him into becoming one of the greatest pilots that the Resistance had ever seen. And that storyline, if I am not mistaken, is the comic book uh, Dark... Uh, was it Dark Empire? I believe so. 
Yeah, and uh, I do remember Poe's parents uh, helped Luke Skywalker on a couple of missions, and there were uh, there I think there were two force sensitive trees that Luke went on a mission to 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 get back. I think it was one of those items that was uh, captured by the Emperor. Uh, Palpatine had a lot of trinkets, and uh, during the one of the video games, Luke Skywalker. Uh, was able to get back the uh, there was a uh, a watch that uh, also appeared in the Last Jedi and uh, he kept it. There's nothing dangerous in here. The Emperor's protecting junk. This is all worthless. Not all of it. What is that? I'd like to keep this compass, if you don't mind. My mission is to destroy this place. Why would I let you do that? Because I asked. Thank you. I won't stop you from destroying this vault. Wouldn't you say the Empire's done enough damage to innocent worlds? So yeah, Luke Skywalker went, uh, I think he had a mission with Poe's parents uh, to try and get back some of the uh, kind of uh, Jedi articles that uh, Palpatine stored away in his, uh, in his bunker. And uh, we, see that, uh, we see that watch that he took from the game Battlefront, and it's uh, sitting in uh, Luke's um, quarters in, in his room on uh, Acto during The Last Jedi, so... Uh, very interesting story uh, with the Force-sensitive tree and Poe's uh, parents. Obviously, Poe's parents were um, uh, around during the time when Luke Skywalker was active and uh, accompanied him on uh, several missions. So, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah, it's a great little story. And uh, since we're on the topic of comic books, did you want to segue into... Our next topic from San Diego Comic-Con, the new comic book that they announced. Help me welcome to the stage, president of Marvel Studios, Kevin Feige! Yeah, uh, a lot of stuff came out of San Diego Comic-Con this year. A lot of Marvel stuff. I wish they had more Star Wars material. I really was hoping to, to hear a little bit more Marvel I'm sorry, a little bit more Star Wars than Marvel. We did get uh, quite a slew of Marvel projects that any nerd would be proud to uh, to be uh, to to expect uh, in the next coming years. One of the things that uh, I think that I am proud to say that I'm excited about is that uh, comic book. Um, what's it called? The Rise of Kylo Ren, a graphic novel, four-part series. And uh, it's uh, written by one of my favorite comic uh, authors, Charles Soule. And if you don't remember, uh, he was in charge of doing the Darth Vader series. Not Dark Visions, which was a little uh, off the beaten path. But um, the Darth Vader series was really great. Uh, I think it was 25 issues and uh, written by Charles Soule. But uh, he's got the story of Kylo Ren and his mysterious companions. The Knights of Ren. And uh, Alex, I, I, I can't wait for this. You know, they were obviously they were missing from The Last Jedi and they are back in full force. 
Like you said, uh, one of the Knights of Ren is on the cover of uh, the Visual Dictionary, so uh, you're right. Uh, they are coming uh, front and center uh, in this next uh, story, in this next installment. What do you think we're going to find in there? Uh, I hope we find all kinds of cool, nerdy stuff about Star Wars in there. Uh, Kylo Ren's backstory from the time that he fought against Luke and uh, destroyed his, his Jedi training facility to the point where we see him in The Force Awakens hunting down his former master. There is a lot there to unpack. And uh, one of the lines from The Force Awakens that has always intrigued me was Snoke was talking to Kylo Ren and he addressed him as Master of the Knights of Ren. I've never faced such a test. The Master of the Knights of Ren, which is just a, a freaking awesome title. <laughs> and I I have been dying to see who these Knights of Ren have been, uh, where they have been, what they who they are, what they act like, what their mission is. I was really hoping to get uh, a lot of that in Episode 8. However, they went in another direction. So now we're getting the backstory in a graphic novel, which I'm glad is being given over to Charles Soule, uh, from what I hear. He does some really solid work, so I'm looking forward to his take on this, and uh, I'm honestly, I'm stoked. This is probably the the one thing I'm really looking forward to about The Rise of Skywalker is not Rey or Poe or anybody else. It's Kylo and the Knights of Ren. These are the two things that I am most excited about for this movie, so I'm glad that we're going to get a backstory around the same time the movie is going to be released. I agree. I, I agree wholeheartedly and uh, can't wait to see what they have in store for us. I have always maintained, and I've said it on Twitter, that the Knights of Ren um, are uh, relic hunters. They are the same way that Luke and uh, some of uh, his team were out searching for um, Jedi articles. I think there's also a... Uh, uh, you know, a, a dark-seated team that is out there searching for Imperial artifacts, Sith artifacts. Uh, now that the, uh, the the Sith have been destroyed and the Jedi are all but gone, even more so now than, than before. I forgot what episode I mentioned, in, uh, but uh, the Knights of Ren would be really cool if we saw them almost take on an Indiana Jones uh, role and go out in the galaxy and kind of start looking for Sith artifacts. But uh, yeah, they were missing from The Last Jedi. I wonder where they went, and uh, I can't wait to see how they explain their uh, their return. Yeah, I, I'm I'm all for that. If they if Disney decides to do some kind of a Disney Plus miniseries about the Knights of Ren and their escapades across the galaxy, hunting down relics of the dark side of the Force, I mean, how cool would that be? I would love to be able to see that on screen, uh, and I would uh, these guys. Just the concept of them alone. I know we don't really have any information on them, but just the concept of these uh, these knights alone is so intriguing. I can I cannot wait to uh, to dig into who they are. I find them intriguing. I hope they. Uh, I really was hoping to see a little bit more of the Knights of Ren in the Last Jedi, but uh, that was not to be. <laughs> So we had a little uh, news blip. Uh, Kevin Smith is uh, making the rounds again. He is the ambassador to all things nerd. He uh, was reportedly on the set, I think, of uh, The Rise of Skywalker, talking to J.J. 
and uh, he's got some very interesting things to say. Uh, did you hear about this? I sure did. I watched that interview, um, and as I love Kevin Smith, as per usual, this guy just geeks out about everything, and it's part of his charm, and it's part of why we love him. Um, but he said that he had spoken with J.J. about something that was going on on set, and J.J., along with several other people who were working on set, told Kevin Smith, you don't want to see this because it's the last scene of the movie, and I quote, it will melt your brain. <laughs> what do you think about that, Ro? Um, I, I can't wait to have my brain melted in December. Let's speculate because I've got uh, some thoughts about this. So here's the thing, you know, everybody knows that J.J. supposedly is going to end this series with a bang. Uh, Somehow he's got the task of incorporating all nine films in this, you know, the eight before and then this ninth film. Somehow he's got to tie everything together. So there was a quote uh, from Kathleen Kennedy asked by an ABC reporter um, how... She felt that uh, the film is going to end or what she thinks about it. And uh, she did say one word, and that was hope. Star Wars has always been about hope. And uh, if if my theories are correct, if my uh, thoughts are correct... Uh, you know, this last shot, this last set piece, if it has to do with hope and if it'll melt your brain and at the same time, all of this is supposed to tie together with everything that came before, uh, you know, the original Star Wars has been, you know, coined as Star Wars A New Hope. And uh, I have a feeling that uh, that last set or that last shot somehow has to do with uh, us going back to Star Wars A New Hope for some reason. Somewhere in in, in Star Wars A New Hope, uh, there are clues as to how this movie is going to end. Hmm. That's what I feel. What What do you think of that? That is a very interesting theory. I, I hadn't really thought about that, um, but a new hope being the having things come full full circle for the series uh, for the saga. You know, starting off in Tatooine with a young naive Luke, and having it end on Tatooine. Uh, we quite we quite possibly could see Obi Wan Kenobi's uh, old hut. Uh, we know we he had a chest full of items there. Maybe there's some kind of a clue there. Um, that is. I mean, I have speculations, but they're so far out there that I don't know if they're even worth talking about. You know, we're we're all talking about uh, this time travel situation that may or may not come into play, whether it's time travel or not. Uh, you know, Rebels did introduce this kind of like a portal thing where you can actually not really go in back in time, but go into, uh, you know, open up a portal to go into a certain... Uh, time frame uh, from the past or the future or anywhere in 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 time and space, and uh, I I had this crazy idea that somehow the you know as the story plays out somehow somebody either Ray or, or somebody finds the entrance to this 
portal that we saw in the cartoons where everything is accessible in this realm and they step through and they come out on Tatooine uh, or somehow we see something very familiar to us, you know, OG uh, fans that uh, that basically will melt our brains. I will say this, that if, if they do it right, it could work really, really well. However, right. I foresee that if somehow they manage to write Ray as being some kind of a pivotal key component to the uh, first movie, A New Hope, where somehow she's involved in, uh, in getting Luke moving or in whatever, you know, some way influences the first movie. I see a lot of backlash coming if they go that direction. <laughs> yeah. People do not want you to mess with the original trilogy, man. Those things are sacred. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. It'll make you see the original trilogy in a whole new different way. And, and uh <laughs> Let's hope not. I hope everything is perfect and uh, all fans across the board are super excited. Luke Skywalker was just a farm boy until he received a mysterious message from a princess. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. She's beautiful. Star Wars, starring Mark Hamill. I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm here to rescue you. Aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? Harrison Ford. Boring conversation anyway. Luke, we're going to have family! I think we took a wrong turn. Carrie Fisher. Good luck. Alec Guinness. You can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. 20th Century Fox presents the most extraordinary motion picture of all time, Star Wars. Here's where the fun begins. No legendary adventure of the past could be as exciting as this romance of the future. Here they come. May the force be with you in Star Wars. All right, guys. Well, thank you for joining us on the Scuttlebutt Podcast. I appreciate you guys listening. Uh, have a great night, evening, day, whatever it is where you're at, and may the force be with you. Thank you, guys. May the force be with you, and that is the Scuttlebutt. Scuttlebutt.